I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to KSL News Radio. I'm Kirk Jowers. You know, COVID-19 has upended life more than anything in my lifetime. The number of cases worldwide has passed 22 million. More than 780,000 people have died. Florida becomes the fifth state to cross the forbidding threshold. More than 10,000 virus-related deaths. Uh, kind of remarkably, we've gone most of this show without talking too much about COVID-19. It always enters in uh, here and there, but we haven't focused on it. And so I have today our expert, uh, Dr. Russell Osgathorpe, a board-certified pediatric infectious diseases specialist and the chief medical officer of doTERRA. Dr. Osgathorpe remains a practicing physician, and when the pandemic began, did a podcast series on COVID-19 that had nearly 4 million Listeners, Dr. Osgathorpe, thank you so much for being with us. It's great to be with you, Kirk. So let's start out simple. How's Utah doing thus far in dealing with COVID-19? Wow, that's a complex question. <laughs> I, I think that Utah has actually, from the data, done fairly well. Our mortality rate is very low. Um, the percentage of our population that has caught COVID-19 is low. Um, we could be doing... a better in some areas, but when we compare ourselves to others, we're doing relatively well. And I would say that the governor and his task force, um, the public health sector, our healthcare system has all responded exceptionally well. That low mortality rate is in large part due to the expert care that is provided in our hospitals around the state. I, I'm really proud of my colleagues working so hard in ICUs with those that are the sickest among us. They've done phenomenally well. Well, that is refreshing to get a little bit of good news with this pandemic. But now let's go to uh, perhaps the darker side. A couple of days ago, the CDC director, Dr. Robert Redfield, warned that this fall could be the worst mm, ever yeah. for public health. What is Dr. Redfield seeing as he looks a few months in the future? And let's bring it local. Uh, where do you see problems on the horizon for Utah? Okay. Well, I, I'll be careful. I can't speak for Dr. Redfield, but I do agree with him that this fall and winter season could be problematic for many places in the United States, including Utah. Uh, there are some realities that we may have forgotten about over the course of the summer as we've all been so focused on COVID-19. One of those is, is that in the fall and winter season, we have usually four or five different viruses that circulate, influenza, parainfluenza, human metanumovirus, RSV, adenovirus, are all co-circulating. And if you walk into any third grade classroom during this time frame, in most years, you're going to see a large percentage, a significant percentage of that classroom having symptoms. And when kids during COVID-19 have runny nose, cough, that becomes really problematic to differentiate between who's got a regular cold and who's got COVID-19 and how the state and how schools and how families are gonna navigate that could be really difficult. And I think that's part of what Dr. Redfield is referencing. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. That is 
that is a bit daunting, um, both from a, a, a physician's point of view as well as government officials. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> it's going to be really hard for primary care physicians to figure out how they do testing when they know that there are five other circulating viruses. Right now, it's pretty much COVID and only COVID that's circulating causing cough and cold symptoms in, in the less symptomatic or less severe cases of COVID. They are indistinguishable to the naked eye, really, um, or to even an educated physician. It's going to be very difficult to determine whether you have COVID or whether you have parainfluenza or RSV, for example. Right. And so that reality will be difficult for our providers to figure out. Think about it for a minute. You remember how shorted, short we were on testing materials back in the early stages of the pandemic? Right. We're much better now, and we want everybody with symptoms to be tested. But let's say that now instead of only a small, tiny fraction of people having cold and flu symptoms, it's a much larger segment of the population that has cold and flu symptoms. Will we run into shortages? These kinds of questions are, I'm sure, what the governor's task force is trying to deal with right now and prepare for. Well, and our next guest is Governor Herbert, and oh, so wow. I will <laughs> I will ask him that question. But uh, while I've got you, what uh, what can we, let's put some responsibility on our ourselves as 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 people and not doctors and and government officials, what can we do to avoid kind of the worst case scenario that starts playing out in our minds when we think through this? Well, it's important to not let fear rule our decision making. And and the data uh, for COVID-19 is getting more and more clear that wearing masks will limit the spread of the virus. And so the most important thing that we can do to limit the spread of COVID-19 right now in August, as well as in February, is to wear our masks and to do so religiously. Do it like do it like your neighbor's life depended on it, because it very well might. And, and it's important uh, what you just said there. Wearing a mask, as we've learned, is actually a very unselfish thing to do. You are exactly. protecting someone else more than you're protecting yourself when you wear the mask. That's exactly right. Yeah. I would also say, Kirk, in answer to your question, that when we uh, want to think about how important the mask wearing will be, when we have lots of other viruses circulating in our community that are transmitted by very similar methods to COVID-19, we're ho- I'm hopeful that wearing a mask will also limit the spread of these other viruses, making some of our more typical yearly epidemics of croup or RSV, bronchiolitis, if you're a pediatric patient, or um, influenza, uh, making those epidemics, if we wear masks as a population really carefully, I'm hoping that those will be much smaller and that I want to provide some hope. If we wear our masks, I would anticipate that there will be decreases in transmission of other viruses, not just COVID-19, because they're transmitted similarly. It has been such an impactful disease 2020 has been so interesting i I think about even right now normally i would be doing this show from the ksl studios instead Mm -hmm. i'm doing it remotely from the headquarters of of doTERRA where we both work um you're the only person i'm in the same room with for this entire show we're socially distant and all those things but um so let me ask one practical question. You've given us a great uh, forest amount of things to, to think about, as well as some personal suggestions. But, uh, you know, a lot of companies are trying to deal with how to bring people back, how to deal with uh, symptomatic family members, all of this. So 
what if one person in a household tests negative for COVID-19? She has symptoms, but it turns out to be one of those multiple diseases you mentioned. Um, so she's positive for influenza, so say. Should the rest of the household still get tested for COVID-19, hmm. not go to work or school? Like, That's a great question. I don't know what uh, public health policy is going to be made on that particular situation that you just discussed. Right. But in a situation where reagents are scarce, if we're doing lots and lots of testing, if we know that one patient within a household has influenza or RSV, for example, and other people in the household get symptoms temporarily related to that index case, the likelihood that those patients in the, in the same household as the index case have RSV is high, and the likelihood that those symptoms are due to COVID would be quite low. So I would suggest that if, if we know that one person in a household has a particular virus, you might be able to avoid doing the full battery of testing if reagents and testing is low. So keeping uh, people uh, cohorted, ideally, or thinking about them as cohorts, meaning families as cohorts, saying that this family has cir circulating influenza in it versus this family has circulating COVID would allow the, the public health sector or the primary care doctor to, in an educated way, send the right test rather than sending all the tests, which would deplete our resources quickly. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Osgathorpe. My pleasure. Governor Herbert is next. Text us on the Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line at 57500 or leave a voicemail on the KSL News Radio comment line 801 575 7668. We will be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.